0: Hi everyone, welcome to Type Talks. Today we have Catherine Favre with us. She's the creator of TriType and I'm also in her certification program. So she is my teacher and she is also someone who has done scientific research on the Enneagram. And so I would love to interview you today on the most likely to least likely Enneagram and MBTI combinations because you are really well-versed in that and your really cool findings on that. I'm wondering about your sample size, the community you looked at, and if you could tell me a bit about that. Great, so this
1: research that we're referencing was conducted in 2014 and 15, so it's two years of study, which is about what I do with most studies. And I stopped at 1200, which was a large sampling for the time, but it's not even close to compare systems like MBTI and TriType. type It's kind of okay for type, but we have to first adjust for who the Enneagram community is. And one thing that I found, regardless of whether it was prior to the internet and people taking study questionnaires online, or physically filling out something and sending it back to me, that it's the same common tri-type or what they think their tri-type is and what they think their MBTI is. But I have since learned, of course, that many people didn't know their correct type or how to find it. And some of what I will say people are not gonna agree with me on Probably based on what you might project. But well, I'll show you a slide. I always think it's important to put things into context. And every single study comes back with the most common type is the sexual self pres for with a five wing self identified. And that they're the 459 tri And INFP and J were really so close that. It's an X in the original way MBTI was taught. And it it was everywhere. It's an international study. It didn't matter if someone was from another country or spoke another language, but English was the language. But having said that, there's a very high number of people from the US, Denmark, and the Netherlands. Why? Because they absolutely love the Enneagram. So what I have to say there wasn't enough of were from the Asian countries. Now I have money more, but in 2014 and 15, there weren't as many people online with the Enneagram as there are now. And another thing that's changed is gender. Men have gone up and transgender or variables within gender has gone up to 10% whereas it used to be at 1%, you can see just nine years ago. And the qualifier, and I'll explain more about this, is that really it isn't mostly four or five nines. It's people who identify as a four or five nine because they like information and data, but they're actually sixes. And what most people don't realize is that the six is the type most inclined to go in search of typologies all typologies. They're trying to understand why they feel anxiety, why people act differently from them, why some people are confident and others aren't, who to trust, how to trust, how to make sense of people. Now, AIDS are that way as well, but they're not going to necessarily fill out a questionnaire or be online commenting every day. But the sixes will. Now fives will like the information and in the data. There are a lot of them, yes, but six is when. So it really should say four, six, nine, then four, five, nine. And it's also not necessarily leading with the four. The most common lead type is six, then nine, then four or five in that order. But this is before people fully understood that there were so many important errors in the dissemination of the Enneagram that involved type six and nine. So if you consider knowing both systems, have you found that there are many more sixes than people initially identify with in both systems?
0: Absolutely. Even with me, I typed myself as a 4, 5, 1. And so I didn't see myself as a 6 at all until I got typed. Like you've taught, Catherine, a lot of people who are confused and they don't know their type in MBTI. And the Enneagram, they're typically either 6s or 9s. And so that's one of the dead giveaways there. I think that the Enneagram and the MBTI, there are always going to be people who mistype Yes. due to self-report. So I'm yeah. wondering about how you deal with mistypes in the study. It's a
1: great question and something I've addressed from the very beginning. Cause I did my first research in high school. I just happened to have a psychology teacher that assigned empathy and taught us how to do qualitative research because she was a psychology teacher. And she said, quantitative doesn't work if you're trying to discover more about people it's good if you want to prove or disprove something based on numbers. But with psychology, people can misunderstand or go with their feelings and emotions and their preconceived ideas. And she was the one who first mentioned that most people that will participate in a study are those that are sociable. She didn't know the Enneagram. And they are kind of loyal but cautious but want to learn more and they want to participate and it's they're curious well they ended up being sixes and she was absolutely right in every study it doesn't matter what the study is on if it's volunteer basis they are sixes and there's always the issue of fear being a concern no matter what the study was it could be about hip fractures. It could be about anything. And the people that will participate in a study about it willingly and offer are more often social six than any other combination. And especially if they feel they should, then they'll have one in there. If they're just curious, they'll always identify with a seven wing. Or if they're introverted, they'll. Identify with the five wings. So it's such a great question. Now, how do I get around that? She didn't know the Enneagram, that teacher, because that was like 1969, but she knew the description of the personality that would be most inclined to willingly join in any kind of research or go in search of information. And I know this is true with respect to psychology because. One study I considered correlating with the Enneagram was the adjective checklist, because it's the list all psychiatrists and therapists use when a new client or patient comes into their work and you check off the adjectives you relate to. It's great for finding sixes, because the words are geared towards all the adjectives of caution or aggression, depending on whether they're phobic or counterphobic or OCD, comes up immediately. But there's too many words missing for many of the Enneagram types. One reason being they don't present. They might not be a type to go to therapy. And so they're not fully represented. So that was a great concept. But some of the types like AIDS need totally missing, what many of the sevens need, totally missing, or words they'd identify with. It would only be if they were counterculture and had a problem of some sort, like something you could really measure. But in general, basic therapy or to work on things, no. Threes, hardly representative, unless they happen to be OCD or workaholic. That would show up. So the absence of words and adjectives that the types would use. But anyhow, when she was saying you want to use qualitative research, it's more work. It takes longer. There's more to document. But you're in the discovery process. You can have a very simple hypothesis that there's more to learn. What don't I know about the types that I could learn? So I knew I wanted to look at the internal experience of type when I did my first Enneagram study, but it wasn't my first study. The one I did in high school was the beginning on empathy. And I came up with many different types of empathy that now are commonly known, but they weren't in 1969. It was only because I did a many, many interviews. Because once I realized people really defined empathy differently and they had a different value system for it. Instead of 10 people that I was required to interview, I did well over a hundred. My family, my friends, their friends, and my parents' friends, and my friends' parents' friends. I just kept going. And I would have continued on because they started to cluster into categories, which I would now call the Enneagram. But back then, I just knew it was very different. And different value system on it. And I have found that to be true with every single study. But when I was an executive where I had to be able to hire and train people quickly, efficiently so I didn't have to constantly handle turnover, I took a course on how to interview effectively. And part of that work was to have the person you're interviewing name five words they would use to describe themselves, which is a part of my questionnaire, and then their strength and weakness and why. And then the interview could go off any way that you want it. Well, I quickly notice, wait a minute, all the people I've hired over the years, I thought they were similar. They'd fit in that account, but not another account, or working with that person, but not that other person, And why, what I'd be factoring in. Oh, that person's cautious, but very thorough. So a lot of what I was doing, even before Myers-Briggs, was just trying to make my job easier. So I didn't have to travel as much because I was traveling a lot. So it became the foundation of everything I've done since. And I took that course in 1972 when I became a manager at the age of 20. I didn't realize that they didn't know how old I was. They thought I was like almost 30. But that's because I had experience that predated what you'd normally know at 20. I happened to have an eight boss when I was in high school and working for a cosmetic studio. I was working two jobs and at Marie Callender's and the woman at the cosmetic studio said, you need to have something other than psychology. You never know when that's not going to work out. She was an eight. And she said, you need real training. You're really skilled. You have perfect color pitch. You need to work on movies and do makeup. You know, Merle Norman was the studio I worked for, and they were very proud of a foundation that was good at covering scars and was used in a lot of different ways. So she sent me at 16 to two weeks of professional training as a makeup artist. So yeah, I did know things before the average 20 year old would. And I'd already traveled to Europe by myself by at the age of 12. And it was the first year that they could not ask the year you went to college or how old you were. But having said that, when they promoted me, they did say, Yeah, you get everything done, you take charge, you execute things, you're no nonsense, but you're a little rough around the edges. (laughs) So we want you to take these management courses, they'd pay for them. And I could take as many as I wanted. Well, believe me, I just carried on taking things. And that's why we're here today. So I ran a study with about a 1000 people that either had worked with me or for me or in different capacities in the cosmetic industry. And that was so I could better understand how to determine who would be right for which job, who could be developed, what they needed to be developed in their own way. So I was really addressing a lot of what we do now with the MBTI and the Enneagram and the different functions, socionics, all the different ways of looking at personality. So in effect, I became a personality expert because I studied everything that was available. So self-reporting. The biggest problem with self-reporting is how do you know if they have self-reported? Well, I build that into every test result. So what you don't know is that Any question that I asked, like in this study, there were 81 questions. So I really appreciate everyone who went through it. Like one question right here is what is your Myers-Briggs type? And then I specified different aspects of that. But for every question I asked, how certain are you? And people will say, absolutely certain. But I always have a note box And if they're absolutely certain, why would they need to give me any note? But some people would say, well, this teacher said I was that, or my friend who knew Myers-Briggs said this, or I thought I was that, but I also considered that. Now they just said they were absolutely certain when they clicked the box, because it's how certain are you? Absolutely or unsure or totally certain, how do I say it? Yeah, certain and uncertain. Okay, maybe not so absolute, that's more just my personality. But in that moment, they gave me the key information like that little asterisk when people take my testing instrument, the Enneagram TriType test, where it's incongruent. So how could someone click certain? and then give me all these different possibilities of uncertainty. Well, it's very consistent with six and nine, but in particular, what they put in the little message box would indicate nine more than six or six more than nine. So I've had the good fortune of always asking people if they'd be willing to do a follow-up interview if I see a pattern. Or something that they happen to say exactly like other people from other parts of the world that don't know them. They don't know each other at all, but it's meaningful. And from there, I can do the in-depth inquiry process and find out the type underneath. So I would always follow up on that. And so believe me, prior to this study, I did this with people every time I work with them as I am open to subtleties within their type, their tri-type, and their MBTI, and their stacking, even if people are absolutely certain. They aren't as certain as they think, or there's something they didn't know, that if they knew that piece of data, would type in any of these systems a little differently. So then I get the trigger, and I take the people who have the incongruence out of the study itself. And they go into their own classification. And that's where so much of my information has come from with respect to people about why they missed type, because those people were interviewed. And with a thousand people, almost 20% revised something that they were certain about, whether it was their type, their instinct, or their tri-type or MBTI.
0: Yeah, well, that is really fascinating. So that's a really quality way to vet people. Uh, for those who are unfamiliar with Catherine's work, she also teaches her students lexicon. So certain types, they use certain words commonly. So that's a really good way of vetting by seeing their the vocabulary. So that can give you a cue as to whether someone's typed correctly or mistyped. That's huge, actually, let me just add something to that. Thank you for mentioning that.
1: So when I asked people the five words they would use to describe themselves to a total stranger, the piece that came from that early 1970s course is the foundation of all of this. And it became unbelievably clear that there were clusters. Then I learned MBTI along the way, And then I saw some clusters that matched, but many that didn't quite. But then when I learned the Enneagram, the clusters were already there for the adjectives. And then when I realized that people were answering like three types, not just one, because of the way I gave them their idealized image and core fears, which I learned prior to the Enneagram, but I already knew the clusters and then they matched to the Enneagram types perfectly, but I ranked them two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, one. So unconsciously, I was seeing them rank all nine types based on the core fears and the idealized image in a stacking order from one to nine. But because they were already broken by center, I could at a glance look at their test because it was a physical test initially and see, wait, there's one from each center. And then when I did the inquiry process, they had the core fears, fundamentally, and the passion and fixation and defense strategy of those three types, not just one. Now, even if people identified with four types, like a six or a nine could, they still, when interviewed, narrowed down to three. But they wouldn't have known that. No one knew it. I didn't even know it. Everyone thought the instinct was minor compared to the type and the Enneagram type was so much more important than MBTI, but it's not, they're just different and they're really important, but in different ways. I just wanted to clarify that. And I encourage everyone to use that. And if you notice the questions I ask at the beginning of the Enneagram TriType test, you're free to use that. I encourage Mm -hmm. everyone to use those questions.
0: Yeah. So speaking of lexicon, what are, are the lexicon languages for the eight, seven, four tri type, which you are that tri type, would you say? Yeah.
1: Usually the word creative will be in there and some word having to do with compassion. And it may even be the word compassion, but it will also have a word like opinionated, outspoken, direct, something that shows the asserting so you're getting the creativity cuz 4 7 and 8 are all creative they're the creative type in each center and they're all innovative so they might say innovative or open minded it'll be a little different it won't be till you get to the the weakness and why and the strength and why that you'll get more subtlety they'll also use a word that you would think would not be that important. It might have something to do with kind. So that compassion could have the word kind. But when you ask them to define each adjective, it's what are they kind about? And it's people treated unfairly, or why would they care about that? So I always do the inquiry process. As you've learned, Joyce, where you're getting around the superego, kind of fooling the superego, and then finding out what all the many egos have to say. Another thing is that they will talk about, depending on the instinct, a level of interest and depth, but they usually won't say it as an adjective unless there are four. But with the rest of my questions, they'll read in that word, "someplace." And a key distinction is they will never say some answers as well. Like for example, an eight will never say they want to be confident. They just are. It would never even occur to an eight to say, I wanna be confident. But a six, even if they have eight in the tri-type might want to be more confident than they are. So what the words that are there and not there are equally important. So I stress you ask people's personal definition of the words. Because that's how you can fool the superego. It can't track where I'm going if I'm following your own words. Because you can't anticipate exactly what I'm going to ask. Because I'm basing it also on your emotions. Because I also know micro expressions
0: and body language.
1: They'll say something like intellectual too.
0: That's really awesome. And so when Catherine says the word in-depth inquiry, she's referring to her typing process. So she does a verbal exchange with you where she tries to get past your superego or your filters and get to the heart of you by bypassing your natural defenses. And Certain words will emerge, as she talked about just now, and micro expressions. So she's able to tell through physical cues someone's type as well. And so for your tri-type, what are the micro expressions you would typically see?
1: It's very easy for the four, seven, eight to show disgust, especially if they lead with eight, which is you know, like the like you smelled something bad. It's like, what? You know, it's like so. It's not what it's like. Like you know, the eyes get narrow and are more direct. Whenever we narrow an eye, especially if we cock our head, it's when we have absolute belief in our own knowing of something. All of us, but with my tri type, you will see that immediately. There's no problem whether you lead with four, seven, or eight, hypothesizing a number of different things, but at the same time, in a moment, have absolute certainty and then say, but this would modify that. And that would be modified by this. So you're, I'm also an ENTP, but there's a high percentage of ENTPs and INTPs that are my tri-type. INFP is also in there if they lead with four. Someone says, oh, I'm an ISTJ478, it's incongruent. The defense strategy doesn't match. So something's off, either the tri-type or the MBTI typing,
0: either way. Got it, so thank you for sharing about that. And I was wondering if you could go back to the purple demographic page. Awesome, so it's very interesting how there's the likely types that will have this tri-type. And then there's the unlikely MBTI types that will have this tri type too, and so I was wondering if any of these numbers looked off to you, or any of the ones that were a little bit fishy, (laughs) because you know self-report can always contain some some data where you may not fully agree as the expert in this.
1: Absolutely, and I did interview people. Now the first thing I want you to notice is that even though I had 1,200 people. The Enneagram still dominated the people that were on my list. So it went to well over 100,000 people, but they were still mostly Enneagram. And a lot of them did not know their MBTI or enough to be certain. So I just left them out. But to break it down by tri type also is a problem because if you look at 16 variables against 27 variables, suddenly you don't have as many that fit exactly. And the mistypings abound, but there were certain things that could be clarified. So remember, I took a whole group of people out that had the incongruent answers because I ask over and over again, how certain are you of everything that I'm asking? But like, if you think of a one, two, five, And one are generally more introverted types, even if the individual isn't an introvert. Everything about those two types is more introverted than extroverted. It takes a very strong five to see themselves as an ESTJ. It's just so rare, I can't even tell you. But when I interviewed these people, guess what happened? They weren't the one, two, five they actually were one, two, sixes. And some of them were more extroverted and they ended up the ESTJ. But really, if we drop down and go to the eight in there with the three, so the three, six, eight, they belong down there. And you'll notice it only shows nine but the ESTJ is there and the ESFJ. And that is a good match. That is quite common. In fact, very common to have the 368, not the 125s. They had miscalculated that they were sixes. So that was adjusted. It's just incongruent. I mean, if you know one system, you you know that the other is just too far apart. There's an exception to every rule, but when I find the exception, it's what we used to call in Myers-Briggs an X, meaning the functions were too close to be strongly one or the other. So we could have one, two, fives that were XSTJs. That happens, but ESTJ would be an outlier. There's no question. Even though it didn't look like it came up that way. I did additional research with those people. I'm still working on that study because there are 81 questions. So does that make sense? Like, how many people have you met that were one, two fives that were ESTJs? Not many. <laughs> right. And they were usually ones, not a five, right? Exactly, yeah. So that's where the variable comes from if they're the one but the tendency with this tri the one two five is to be engaged with others but be an internalized person so it would be an x more commonly than an e
0: it would be an iron x got it And I'm also noticing the ISTP tri typing in one, specifically the 136. So I'm curious, is that a common tri type for ISTP or is it like a slight
1: mistype? Often they can be there, but in my experience, more often than not, they might be an ISFP rather than the TP. Now it can happen if they are a regimented personality in their execution, like their MBTI, but the 136 is pretty regimented too. They're like doing, 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 but they're following a procedure or policy or approach that isn't their own. They're implementing someone else's procedure, but they're very industrious. They're doing, 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 so they can easily mistype and not understand that they're making more emotional decisions than they realize. But it could be close, and I have seen them, but what have you found?
0: A lot of the ISTPs I know in the head center either type as seven or five themselves. They might be a six, but they don't know it. Yeah, exactly. And in... I don't know any yet that type themselves as a one, but I've seen nine and eight be considerations. So ISTPs typically see themselves as threes in the heart center, but they can vary too, right?
1: Yeah. Well, especially the ISTJ would match the three in there for sure. The openness that comes with the P I find is not as common with the one, three, six. Yeah, see, that's where I think it's 137.
0: That would make a lot of sense. That's
1: why I have to adjust these when I look at the broader experience that I have. For many years, I taught both and presented my findings like we do now with the Enneagram Conference, but I do it for the local Bay Area organization, correlating these two and doing panels. And, really cool. I didn't in a year. and if you consider all the people that I hired over the years in different capacities, in different parts of the country, and using both systems, and I stayed in contact with many, but I also have kind of that type of memory, pattern recognition. So I can remember the person at that store and this account for this interview. And I'll remember the interview when I asked those questions and working with them, many of them for years, some not as many, maybe two or more years. And even if I wasn't working with my last company in that world, in the cosmetic industry, I was with other companies. So I was working with the same accounts. So I still knew the people. So having said that, it just did not Happen. And if it did, there was another factor that modified it. And that's where the instincts can come into play, where the self preserving instinct can add more of an introverted quality. The social instinct, even the most introverted social, is still looking outward at people. And the sexual is looking for that twinship or how we match. So it wasn't accounted for here. And I really think that it needs to be when you're looking at all of it together, because it creates not just the the lead type needs to be factored in, because it's going to be the final CEO of the system. But the instinct is triggering the whole system. And what you want is different and I find a lot of sexuals will think they're intuitive and they may not be, but they're identified with questions that would put them on the border between the two. So it really helps to sort that out. And people that are thinkers and go more objective might be caring and compassionate people, but it's a secondary issue. Like they could have empathy, but not make their decisions based on thinking processes Mm -hmm. or the other way around. They could be not empathetic and make their decisions on emotional reasoning. And so I think all of it's important. The stacking order of the instincts and the stacking order of the tri-type will influence how it plays out. So like with the one, two, five, a five, one, two, no way are they gonna say ESTJ, X at best, XSTJ. In fact, it's even more common to be confused by the two with this tritag. They might say ESTJ, and then they might be a principal. There are many ways it can play out, but five, I just don't see it. It's, I've maybe met one person over 200,000 people that clearly was that distinction, but there were many that were X, very close with introversion and extroversion.
0: I know many ESTJs that are one, two, six, like what you said. So very, very common. And by the way, everyone, so uncommon enneagram and mbti combinations do exist but they're also trends too so we're analyzing the trends and being geeky about that just a, as a disclosure for everyone
1: yeah because they can be rare like how often do we see an intj4 it's like i have met them they're usually social 4s they're in the executive world one way or another where they're T and F are close. It's not like there's a huge differential between the functions. There's an emotional reaction that isn't matched by a feeling function. It's still the thinking over the feeling. They may be emotional people, but they're not focused on the emotions of others. And they're making their decisions, even if they've emotionally reacted, still on the thinking Assessments rather than the emotional. So, that they do exist is what I'm saying, but they're rare. They're rare overall. And I take my sampling from many industries, not just those interested in typologies. In fact, with my first study, I had 400 people that knew the Enneagram, and I wasn't looking at the Try type. Then I did ask all the questions that led me to try type. But I took four hundred people who knew their type or believed they knew their type, and their instinct. And then I took a hundred people who knew nothing about the enneagram or any typology. Would never want to know anything. They were in fields. They just did it because I prevailed and influenced them to do my study. Your kind of personality needs to be represented. I need you to. To do this form and then do an interview with me. Oh, come on. You know, I helped you out when you helped, you know, do this for me. Do these for people with your personality. And I got a hundred people to do that of all different ages, because the youngest I've worked with in studies is 10, and the oldest is like 95. So it's been a full range. But a lot of industries I was in, like the Federal Reserve banking system, it's a very much a TJ kind of one nine experience, but each department was different. I ended up teaching in every division. So you had the people doing the infrastructure and the people that were heading up HR, very, very different. And from all over the country, because if you know anything about the Federal Reserve System, nothing is put in one basket, everything's spread out. Over all the divisions, so you got a lot more T's in here than we normally find with the Enneagram and MBTI combined. Especially as it was in 2014 and 15. Now there's a lot more MBTI people that identify with T that are moving into the Enneagram. So you've probably seen that change. Like
0: Mm -hmm. I've seen that too. A lot of my demographic is female, like your community as well. And I think men are slowly becoming more interested in in MBTI and Enneagram in bigger populations, too. But it's still female-predominated spaces, personality theory in general, and psychology classes or places that have to do with the human element. And I think it's because of female stereotypical associations or possibly just more females are more interested in this it's it's always perplexed me so I have a question for you Catherine and it's we talked a little bit about micro expressions earlier and I'm wondering for the 135 if you were to look at their lexicon and facial mannerisms how would you be able to verify that they were that tri-type
1: yeah, so the 135, with the one, you're always going to notice either an eyebrow goes, I had to train, I can't make this one go up at all. I can only do, but I, I taught my right brow to go up. But what, like anyone, if they're thinking a funny thought can make this just move across, like an inner knowing with a smirk on their face, then you know they're just having fun. But if they have a straight mouth or cursing of the mouth and that brow goes up, It's disapproval. And even in the study of micro-expressions, that brow is not considered a part of contempt. But let me tell you, absolutely, positively, it is contempt to have a straight mouth. You don't have to have just one side that goes up. I can't quite do it very well because I don't use contempt, I do disgust instead. But this brow with the straight mouth, With one side even up a little more, but it kind of looks very clearly disapproving.
0: That's what you get.
1: Yes, that's what you're going to get with anyone that has one in the Mm tritide, and if they lead with one, absolutely. And the pursing of the lips is the attempt of the one to stop themselves from saying something that's inappropriate. So before they know about the Enneagram or typologies, especially if they're STJ, it's just going to rise and they're going to say that thing about how someone's inappropriate or it's unacceptable or inexcusable, something harsh that's intended to stop behavior that is unacceptable, that maybe to help you so you don't make that mistake again, maybe because you're violating some sort of code or policy or rule that needs to be in place, depending on the tri type. But there's this way in which the one is trying to prevent wrongdoing through wrong actions. Now, sixes worry about that as well, but fives don't. So it's always good to compare two tri-types, where they can seem similar, especially if we're looking at introverted or extroversion or close. But the three is going to be achievement-oriented. Ones are achievement-oriented because they should do their best work, because that's a should. Threes in a tri-type are trying to do the best work, To be one of the best, if not the best. In fact, the most interesting piece of information when people that were three said their greatest fear was being second best, I thought, how? They don't even know each other. What is second best? So when I interviewed people on what it was, universally, it was anything less than first place that they wanted first place, even if they didn't have the capacity to do that. Now, if they led with three, then they were going to be a taskmaster about it and try and try and try and achieve it, but be really distressed every time they missed the mark. Even if their counterparts that were above them were always going to be above them, they would still try and achieve that. So it brings achievement. So you put one and three together and the person needs to do their best at all times. And they feel conscious or unconscious suffering if they haven't achieved the goal according to the values of the lead type. And then you just look at the head type coming in, whether it's five, six, or seven, and that modifies what they believe they need to know or learn to be the best, but the moral kind of value of what should be done is coming from the one. And so you mm-hmm. should do your best at all times yeah. and not be frivolous or not follow through. Just think of all the values. And then the three is achievement. And you have to keep improving. When you have one and three, improvement has to continue to take place or you failed. And then the five needs to have the self sufficiency to not be obligated to anyone. So they do their best, not just because they're knowledgeable and they want to gather data, but they also don't want to be beholden to anyone. And the six is trying to keep from being a target for any reason. So if they're smart, they'll do really well. And if, and they'll kind of preemptively, have strategies for things they fear, which is why some of them won't know there are six because they've already worked out. If this happens, I'll do that. If that happens, I'll do this. And it's already just stored away, but they're spending their whole life preparing for things that can go wrong. And then the seven is wanting to bring an area of interest in what they're doing. So they're very rigid too. They have to achieve and excel and be the best. And it's the only time when someone could be at seven and not realize they lead with seven because that one and three can make them more focused on achieving and doing well. And at first glance, they might identify as a three. So I think it's kind of important to look at the types within the tri-type that have a particular value system. And then when you look at the MBTI, we have put values onto them, but I get that, and I taught that way. But I have found that it's more how you're going to go about handling the dilemma of the Myers-Briggs type. So if they happen to match, like ENFP seven or six with a seven wing, they just go together. Twos very commonly ENFP. So if you have two seven or two six, then what matters again is that center that isn't represented but yeah Mm. and I've seen ENFPs all nine types people will say now you can't have ENFP AIDS yeah actually you can (laughs) they're really big then but they're like big in their positive and in their imagination and their interpersonal dynamics
0: yeah I even have a panel with all nine ENFP Enneagram types too oh excellent uh, that verifies Catherine's hypothesis, but um, I was also wondering about how you would identify a two, six, nine, both in the words that they say and how they appear. Wow,
1: that's a tough one. And I feel for them because when those three defense strategies and idealized image and core fears come together, What they share in common is that you need to tend to others to be safe as a six, to be the advice-giving person that's revered as a two, and to be the pleasant, likable, easygoing nine. Now, here's part of the problem. A whole chunk of type nine and the nine helpfulness was put into type two. So nines, if they see someone in distress, it gives them a sense of disquiet. So they offer to help and they will patiently help, but they're not looking for opportunities to be of assistance. They just, unless they have two in the tri-type, but they just automatically do it. But all the kindliness of nine was put into type two who can also be kind, but helpfulness is to be seen as someone who gives good advice that is strong and someone you can lean on. The nine's not looking for that. So I just had to qualify a whole chunk of two then was put into type seven. And twos can be quite hedonistic and self-indulgent, just like a seven. Two, seven and eight can. So that tri-type really can. But correcting for that, and that we realize that nines are that way, then you can see it a little better because the two is looking for the opportunity to be that person that can give you heartfelt advice if the F function is dominant. But if it's T, then they'll think of ways to fix problems, they'll go more to You need this information to have things work out. But it's still advice giving. And how do they create rapport to have people see them as this advisor? Well, they initiate it themselves. And how do they initiate it? Even the most introverted two will flatter. And I'm not talking about insincere flattery, although any unhealthy person can do that. We all manipulate. I'm talking about the twos' ability to see nuances and to appreciate people in a way that feels personal and meaningful is better than any other type, because they just are tracking that data. So, if we notice the compliments, are the compliments like a two where they're the one who knows something about you and are telling how they appreciate you and initiating it, they might lead with two. If you're doing something with them and they're really more than nine in the lead, then they'll passively wait. And then in the right moment, they might say, well, yeah, I defer to you because you know more about this or that or the other thing but there's a a moment of being passive which the two doesn't have the the two is moving towards it's coming from the heart center initiating the six is the opposing force like mm, double checking so with the six in the tri-type then there's going to be the tendency to be supportive and they will identify with two qualities. In fact, in many ways, the six is the most supportive type on the Enneagram, but the two makes kind of an identity around the supporting and giving and advice giving. But if you ever look at my collage with the two, you'll see in the lower left corner that there's a woman in kind of a doing this, and people go, isn't that the eight? I go, oh, no, actually, the social two is giving you advice, and they'll do this too. It isn't just the one. So you asked me about the features. It's really important to know what each type does. So with the two, there'll be a, and there'll be a stop and a moment of considering and evaluating, whereas the nine will just Be like, oh, okay, yeah, I understand. And they might even say, oh, yeah, she did that. Oh, but they're not actually forming a definite opinion one way or another. They're aligning, merging with the person complaining. They get it. And they have trouble in business because they might have three people working under them, direct reports that had a conflict. And they might each come in and go to the nine manager. Well, Sally said this, and I really saw it like that. And I really felt this happened and should be handled this way. And the nine might say, yeah, no, I can see. Yeah, that would be hard because they can merge with you. But the, the two really quickly says, oh, and they try to find a way to move in and make you feel better, not just agreeing with you, but taking in action, saying something that you should do or not do, which the nine is not even going to do when they're top executives. They're going to just do a lot of listening first, even if they're extroverted. Whereas the six will offer that support by initiating it, and they might be complimentary. They might say, but you know, maybe I'm wrong. They'll throw out the opposing perspective as well, even if they're really certain about their viewpoint, they might still factor in a phrase or a gesture checking their facts or their information. So you'll see it because a lot of body language experts, if they're really good, they don't do this, but people first learning think that if someone looks up and to the left, they're remembering, so they're telling you the truth. If they look to the right, they're lying. Well, some people look to the right, and right and left are mixed up and the reverse. So what I have to say is sixes go into construction, even if they've had a memory. They'll go to their memory, or if they can't totally remember, they'll look to constructing something as close to the answer as possible but they don't know exactly, they'll be rifling through different things. And then they'll go back to their memory and integrate it. So they can look like they're not telling the truth. Yes. And why does the six not just say? Because they don't want to say the wrong thing and get in trouble with someone. The defense strategy is organized around not being a problem, not getting in trouble with someone, not getting into a conflict that could cost you something, but they'll be very helpful. But if something went wrong and it's unclear who did it, the six will find a way to let the person in charge know it wasn't them. And that's that opposing factor. Wait, don't, I hope you don't think I did that. It's certainty, it's a desire for certainty. Of course, an introvert will be different in how they will do this than an extrovert. But you look at, are they initiating? Are they seeing something opposite? Even if they're looking on two sides, they might also do this. Or it could be real tiny. I'm doing big gestures, but it might just be real tiny. Or what? Well, wait a minute. Are you sure? And It's just moving because as the six is thinking, they're moving those muscles because these are all the facial muscles that are attached to the brows, the eyes, whereas gut types and eights, these are defined because this is what they're doing all the time, some sort of lower face. Not that they can't do the really? Right. So you're telling me it's more like this. The eight will go, let me get this straight. But in the case of the two, six, nine, you're getting someone that's looking for an opportunity to move towards another. And there'll actually be a physical gesture, even if it's tiny, of the chest expanding. It's like an opening where the six is going to be, well, I'm not so sure about that. And the shoulders come up one or both. And on a primal level, bringing the shoulder up protects the jugular. So it's very unconscious. And the jugular, you know, you cut that and it's life-threatening. So it's really noteworthy that the two is this gesture and the six will be this gesture, both, or this. So if they cock their head, even in a cute way, you usually have a six, at the very least six in the tritac. Whereas the nine, it will be, you'll see a diffuse allowing quality Mm -hmm. and the weight for you. Even the most extroverted nine waits for you to say the next thing or initiate the next movement. Even the most talkative nine waits more than a two or six because they're receptive they're taking it in integrating Two, initiating six seeing the other perspective and nine allowing and you'll see it in the gestures and usually with that tri type if you're trying to get an answer the harder it is to get one because they're almost like you know if you had a little amoeba and you were poking it here it would move you poke it there it'll move that's really what happens with two six nine because they they're so in agreement that you need to not be a problem, and you need to be someone that is thought of as helpful. They really are naturally helpful. That's why they like the term good Samaritan.
0: Mm-hmm. That is beautifully said, and so. Catherine has a name for each of the tri-types that encapsulate the essence of that tri-type. Like she said, the 269 is the Good Samaritan. And you're getting a glimpse into how nuanced and unique all of these tri-types are from each other and how the different types influence the other types within that tri-type. Just like with a person's MBTI type. You have the cognitive functions. They don't work in isolation, they work with each other and they create a unique combination and how they in how they interact with each other. And so Catherine also talked about things being lost in dissemination. So she's talking about the original creators of the Enneagram were Ichazo and Naranjo. Their work has been changed over time, and you'll notice that there are certain inaccuracies like certain types will sound like other types over time and so inconsistencies
1: where you say wait a minute i thought that was six or oh gee i thought i'm emotional so am i not a four no the most emotional type is the six but people don't know that because chazo came up with the ideas of the types as personalities but there were only the traditional toms, which included the vices and the virtues, but it did not have fixations or convictions. So in that original dissemination of the Enneagram that really was formulated in 1968, but not disseminated to the North, meaning U.S. at that time, 54 Americans that went down to Rica, Chile and went through 10 month training, some of whom only attended five months, like Naranjo was almost six, because he was there for another reason. He came up with the personalities, but it was Naranjo that added all of the psychological perspectives that he learned from different research studies on personality. So he loved Karen Horne, so he immediately decided which types would get aggressive, which types would get. Dependent, which types would be compliant? And then he just put it into the type. So, like, if you see him interviewed and he says, you know, it was like automatic writing, that he was just writing it, it's because he already knew all those studies. So, all he was doing was taking all the systems he learned and then putting them according to the Enneagram. And then he did modify some of them over time. And For example, when I teach the defense strategies, people use defense mechanisms. And actually, it's an important distinction because Naranjo modified the defense mechanisms to strategies based on how they pertain with the type and the defense mechanism. It created a defense strategy. So it's a little different. And you need to look at that Accurately type someone. You must see the defense strategy. If they don't use the defense strategy, they're not that type.
0: Yeah, Catherine's also worked with, or she studied with creators of the Enneagram too, I believe.
1: Oh, Neuron you mean? Yeah, Neuron Ho. Yeah. So I actually certified. I did my own research. I'd studied the Enneagram nine years before I decided to certify. And that was after 1994 conference, the first conference. And from there, I started my research. And within six months, I started my certification process because I had a broader network of people. Because in that first Enneagram conference, I think there were like 1,200 people from all different Enneagram schools of thought. And I thought, wow, this is great. There's only one problem is they weren't defining the types in the same way. And then it became clear there were more people who knew about the types in general than there were about the types with the subtypes. So what was more common were the Enneagram types without subtypes. And that's because they went from Echazo to Naranjo. And if you were in Naranjo's first SAT group, He didn't have subtypes. He had a few archetypes. He said he never taught the subtypes as a course until 1996, the one I was with him. But he was gone for 24 years. So this is how the different disseminations of the Enneagram occurred. So first Achazo. Then Achazo didn't teach to the public. You had to be in a course of his. It was a spiritual training, and the Enneagram was a part of it. And then Naranjo studied with Achazo, asked him to be his teacher, and then came back to Berkeley in 1971 and put together his own Seekers After Truth, studying many aspects of spirituality, but included the Enneagram, but not the subtypes. So anyone that was in that group, which there was a... uh, Jesuit from Loyola in Chicago that was there. He loved the idea of that possibility of the arrows and the lines of connection moving to one in positive growth and one in unhealth or disintegration. Now, that was an idea that was considered and rejected in the same day It was an evening, but we'll just say the same day because Naranjo thought, yeah, it might be easier to go with the lines rather than against them following the law of three, the 369 and 142857, the law of seven. And of course the whole is the circle itself. But then as he was thinking about it, according to Naranjo in 1996, when I told him in my research People went to both lines of connection, positively and negatively. And could they all be wrong? I didn't think so. He said, oh, no, they weren't wrong. I was misquoted. Because in that same day, he realizes he was talking about the pros and cons, which he was prone to do. Think of things theoretically, but not concretely make it fact until you had a lot more data. He thought, wait, if it's one and in integration one and in disintegration, that's not trilectic. that's dialectic, an either or one or the other. And he said, What was intriguing and meaningful about Chazo's work is it was trilectic patterns of three. And so he said, No, it doesn't work. You do both. And yet, the individual that took that information and taught integration, disintegration, liked it because he thought it addressed sin and redemption. And it gave people a way to say, oh, when I'm acting like this, this is what I need to do as a counterpart, as the opposite to neutralize it. And the concept was really great, but it doesn't play out because every single person can move to a line of connection when they're both healthy and unhealthy when they're integrated and disintegrated. You go to your wings, your lines of connection, your instincts. If the system's up, you're up and integrated. If it's down and you're stressed and distressed, you are going to go to the low aspects of your type, your type's wings, and your type's lines of connection.
0: Yeah. The errors of connection aren't just one's negative and one's positive, what people usually think. It's actually, it goes both ways. So just as you said, it's both growth. And if you're in a bad space, it could potentially be the disintegration too.
1: In his book, Any Types in Therapy, he says that. He says it on a video and he said it in my course. So it is documented beyond what I'm saying. And I should say that people that are going to have trouble with that, you're not losing anything. You're gaining something. Maybe the system doesn't seem as simple, but you just look at the low side of both lines and the high side of both lines.
0: Absolutely. And so on that note, thank you, Catherine, for sharing your wisdom. And so it's clear that you've done a lot of studies on the Enneagram. Even her tri-type test is made from words that the Enneagram types have used in her interviews with them. Based off of her research, what you're seeing from all of the books that she creates or the courses that she makes or the tests is that she's talked to thousands of the types and she's created a lot of valuable pieces of information on the Enneagram based on it. So... Thank you, Catherine, for contributing your body of work to the typology space. And I appreciate all that you offer. And everyone, feel free to check out Catherine Favier's website. And I hope you have a great day. Bye. Thank you. Thank you, (laughs) Joyce.